We have a Bible Institute with 882 students in it, and uh, they watch from all over the world, and they participate from all over the world, so that's kind of cool, and we get new students all the time, and students that are working hard towards their degrees. Uh, anytime you want, if you want to pursue a degree in ministry, it's all free. You just register for our Bible Institute and uh, get yourself a username and password and do the work and you can earn degrees. Okay. Uh, like I said, an associate's or a bachelor's and there's no charge for any of that. There's 118 or 19 courses on the site now. So, uh, and these count towards courses. If you want to do just a little extra work from this, you can count this as a course. You really just got to listen to me speak. And then there's a little Bible reading that goes with it. And you have to answer a question, so I know that you've listened to me speak. And then you have to write a little paper at the end. But easy stuff. So that's good. So we're right now working through the Old Testament together. We did the first course was Old Testament Survey 1. We worked our way all the way through First Kings. And now we're going to go from, uh, or, sorry, for, to First Samuel. Now we're going from Second Samuel, and we're going to work through um, Second Kings. So we're spending a lot of time in this chunk of the Old Testament. Because there's a lot of stuff you need to know about what was going on during the monarchy of Israel and uh, what happens. And it does cover a lot of Israel's history. Um, and uh, again, we'll always be looking for the crimson thread of redemption in the process, which we've talked about. Uh, so right now, we're, we're, it's King David's time uh, in, in Israel. Um, we've, you know, we went through Saul's kingdom, kingship. And it wasn't, uh, Saul blew it right almost from the beginning, and so that didn't go very well at all for him. Uh, David's been king now for a little while. Uh, he's united uh, the kingdom back so that all, all of it's under him. But now Absalom, his son, has overthrown him temporarily and ran him, uh, run him out of Jerusalem. That's where we left it. Uh, remember, um, because of David's sin, there were consequences. There's a difference between punishment and consequences. Um, so, because we have to talk about that, even this last weekend when we were talking about, um, you know, because we're forgiven of our sin. That's an amazing thing. Jesus decided to take our punishment upon himself with the cross. That's a huge deal. Um, uh, then sometimes people, though, will, when you talk about forgiveness and grace and how amazing it is, sometimes people get worried about that because they think, well, if that's the case, then they can go and sin and do whatever they want. And um, Paul used to have that all discussion all the time. He said, no, you're missing the entire concept. When you really understand grace, you, you don't, it doesn't spur you on to sin. It, it actually puts you in the other direction. You don't want to do those things any longer. Um, but, but because even though we're forgiven for sin, and so you can have the process about this, there are still consequences. Because um, Jesus, Jesus took the punishment for our sin, which was, which was death. He's taken that at the cross. But, but when we choose to go and sin, there's often consequences that goes with that sin. And um, that's not punishment. That's just uh, sort of part of the, the economy of the kingdom of God, if you would. Um, it's about reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping. A lot of people want to think about that as just financial, but it's in every area of our lives. And so if we, if we sow into things that we shouldn't, we will reap consequences from those things. And the reason that that happens is so that you don't continue doing them. Uh, and, and so the, there are consequences oftentimes for, for choices that we make that we shouldn't make. Now, we still get to rest in God's grace and mercy for us. And yes, we yield to the Holy Spirit and He changes us. He helps us through those things. But um, if we choose to sin, 
then there's quite often consequence. Like if you if you choose to drive 90 in a 30 um, and you get caught, there's a consequence. Uh, are you forgiven? A- sure, absolutely. Is there a consequence? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you continue doing it, is there consequences? Yeah, you probably would eventually lose the ability to drive legally. Um, so there's, there's consequence. But uh, it's, it's different than punishment. And so sometimes people have trouble with that, uh, especially in the areas we're talking about the weekends in relationship. They think that the only way that, that you can, you know, you, you have to worry, we have to punish that. And the reality is you don't. You love people through that. The consequences of what they're doing will... will it's usually enough to catch up to people over time because God does it that way. That's a kindness. But it's hard for us to understand that. But, but uh, oftentimes when people don't change, it's because they're not actually reaping the consequences. They find ways to have other people reap their consequences. I see that happen all the time. People are out doing things that they shouldn't do, and everybody that's around them is reaping the consequences of that instead of getting out of the way. And let them reap the consequence so that, that they have no choice but to change, which is what God wants for them. And so uh, sometimes people will come in that situation and say, what do we do? And I say, well, when those consequences are coming, get out of the way. Don't take them. They're not yours. Let, let them go where they're supposed to go. And that's how people learn. That's how we learn in the process. I, I, mean, I learn pretty well. That, that, do you learn that way, too, when you do something that you probably shouldn't do? And there's a consequence. Doesn't it help you learn not to do that again? It's God's economy. It's pretty good there. It's not punishment. It's just a reality. So it's, it's, uh, it's actually helpful. Anyway, though so David's sin with Bathsheba has consequences in his family. That was coming. It's not punishment. There's just consequences of those things. He's been forgiven. He's loved by God. Uh, all those things. But, but it, it wreaks havoc in his family, what he's done. And it, and it happens through, through sons and his daughters. And remember, the, the, there was a son who slept with one of the sisters. And that was Absalom's sister. And he was furious. And Absalom eventually kills him. And then Absalom's banished for a little while. And he comes back. And now he's overthrown David by, by sitting outside at the gate. We looked at that and making deals with everybody that came up to meet with David, he would make a side deal. And eventually they decided to follow him and he was able to get David out of the picture. David had to flee Jerusalem and uh, he's done that. But now he's coming back. And in 2 Samuel 18, it says verse, uh, in verse 1, David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent the troops out, a third under the command of Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zariah, and a third under Ittai the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. But the men said, you must not go out. If we're forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth 10,000 of us. It would be better for uh, now for you to give us support from the city. And the king answered, I will do whatever seems best to you. Now, it's, remember the last time the king, he got in trouble was because he didn't go to war the way kings were supposed to. And he stayed home. And that's when the whole Bathsheba. So he's like, I'm not repeating that. Uh, and he said, I want to go. And they said, no, in this situation, we really want you to say. So the king stood behind, beside the gate while all the men marched out in units of hundreds and thousands. And the king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. So here's King David. Now, Absalom, his son, has overthrown him and run him out and is, is, would like to see him dead. And remember, he's, he's gone and he's humiliated David because... 
Absalom slept with all of David's concubines as a sign of the fact that he was there. We just read all that. And yet David is conflicted because, A, it's one of his sons, and B, David sort of gets that this is consequence for something that he did that he shouldn't have done. And, and, and yet, it's, Absalom should be dealing with some of his own consequences. Well, he's going to. Um, Verse 7, the army of Israel was defeated by David's men. So the army of Israel at that time would have been everybody that had followed Absalom. David had people that followed him. Pretty much the tribe of Judah stayed with him. Uh, The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest claimed more lives that day than the sword. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's head got caught in the tree, and he was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept going. When one of the men saw this, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Joab said to the man who had told him this, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have uh, had to give you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. But the man replied, Even if a thousand shekels were weighed out in my hands, I would not lift my hand against the king's son. Because remember, everybody that came and reported to David about even Saul... And Jonathan, David quickly dispatched of. So, so everybody had learned, don't, don't mess with David uh, in these matters. And uh, they'd heard him say, protect the young man. Uh, Even if I put my life in jeopardy, verse 13, and nothing is hidden from the kin, you, king, you would have kept your distance from me. And Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. So even though David had told him not to, uh, Joab, who's the commander of the army, says that's ridiculous and he kills him. Well, in chapter 19, what we find out is in verse 1, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So David hears that Absalom's dead and he's weeping. And, and so the whole army, instead of being able to celebrate the victory, they've just recaptured the the throne for David um, because David's not happy at all. They're, they're all just kind of, you know, slinking around. They're not sure what to do. And Joab actually goes and confronts him and uh, says, you've got to quit acting that way um, for the sake of the army, and even though it was Joab who did it, uh, that actually killed Absalom. And uh, he says, he actually says to the king, you better go out and deal with this right now or this thing's going to go really bad. Uh, and so David has to listen to that and deal with that. But in, in sort of response to that, um, in, in trying to make things right again, he takes and, and makes the commander of the army of the Israel the commander of all the armies again in the combined kingdom, not Joab. So he, he sort of thinks it's a political move, but it doesn't make Joab very happy. But the guy who's in command now, Amasa, isn't completely loyal to David. So in the very next chapter, there's another coup happens because, again, Israel isn't happy. You're going to watch the kingdom want to separate constantly until it does um, pretty quickly at the end of Solomon's reign. It, it divides and it stays divided. But there's these hints that it's going to divide all along. Another coup happens in Second Samuel 20. And this time it's a, a guy named Sheba, who's the son of Bichri. He's a Benjamite. Uh, and uh, he, he says, what part of David, what part of Israel, you know, what part of David do we have? Let's go and not follow him. And so he starts with a coup. And so David sends the, the new commander of the army out to deal with it. Um, and uh, Amasa. And Amasa doesn't deal with it in time, just kind of dragging his feet. He's not completely loyal to David. So David has to send Joab's brother uh, to go deal with it. And then Joab gets involved and Joab kills Sheba and straightens out and defeats the coup. And then he's the commander of the army again uh, in that process. And you'll see a lot of this back and forth 
politics taking place throughout the, the kings. So as you're reading it, it's pretty fascinating. Then in chapter 21, um, the Gibeonites are avenged. Now, um, hundreds of years ago, a treaty had been made with the, Gibeons, the Gibeonites that Israel wouldn't destroy them. But when Saul became king in his sort of wayward zeal, uh, where he was just doing what he wanted to do, he wiped out uh, a big chunk of the Gibeonites. And so David decides he needs to make that right, and he goes to the remnants of Gideon. He said, what can I do for you? How can I make amends uh, in this whole situation? Because that shouldn't have happened. We were supposed to not do that to you, take care of you. And they, uh, they said, um, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do, but give us, uh, we want seven sons of uh, Saul, so seven of his male descendants, so that they can kill them as retribution. And uh, so he does. He gets, rounds up seven of Saul's descendants and sends them over to the Gibeonites. Uh, except Mephibosheth. Remember, he said he was going to take care of Mephibosheth. I introduced you to Mephibosheth last week. I just like to say his name, Mephibosheth. It's one of those names you don't get to say very often. I don't know anybody named Mephibosheth. Except him. So uh, that sort of settles that situation, and uh, they take care of that. And then Second um, Samuel chapter 22 is very cool because it's, it's also, it parallels, if you get a chance, write these two down. Psalm 18, verses 2 through 50, virtually identical. There's a few spots in the Bible that are like that, that are virtually identical. And you go, why are they exactly identical? Well, because David wrote most of the Psalms. And so uh, in Second Samuel chapter 22, he's just, you're just catching some of David's writing in that book. But uh, he also wrote uh, Psalms 18. Uh, to, let, me, let me pop into Psalms real quick. Let's, uh, let's just take a gander at that. I need my glasses for that because no matter how often I go like this on my Bible, it doesn't get any bigger. That's an iPad joke. <laughs> Why isn't it working? <laughs> Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. Oh, we just sang that. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death strangled me. The torments of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him. Into his ears, the earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. All right, so that's Psalm 18. Now, let me get to Second Samuel. I'll just read you a little bit of that. Nineteen, 
22. Okay, you can remember what I just read. Verse 1, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of my praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled around me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the chair and flew. So um, it's just neat to see the parallels as um, David's words, song is recorded here. And then we see it later on recorded in the Psalms. Um, you know, I like the Psalms. So uh, David is the writer of most of the Psalms and um, fascinating book, the Psalms. I encourage you to regular reading. It's good for you. Oh, then in chapter 23, uh, it says this in verse 1. These are the last words of David, the oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs. It's quite a title. (laughs) The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. So we're we're moving towards the end of David's reign here. And in 2 Samuel 24, David gets himself in some trouble once again. Uh, Verse 1, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Now, in First Chronicles 21, you get actually a better picture of that. Verses 1 and 2, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. So David, at this point, for some reason, decides that he's, it's more important that trust in the strength of his numbers than to trust in the Lord. And so this taking of this census was really a a sort of a a, a, like a lack of trust uh, with God in the process. And um, he wasn't supposed to do it. And he was challenged not to do it in 2 24. Joab actually says to him, well, David says to Joab and the commanders, go and take a census. And Joab says to the king in verse 3, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over. And may the eyes of my Lord and King see it, but why does my Lord the King want to do such a thing? Uh, he, he, Joab was telling him, don't do this. It's not what God wants you to do. And yet David said, get it done. And so they went and did a census and counted all the number of the fighting men. And then finally, in verse 10, David realizes what he's done. David was conscious stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, our Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. So, again, he's forgiven. The guilt's taken away, but there's consequences because that's what happens. Second um, Samuel 24, 11, David got up the next morning and the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. Remember once before it was Nathan who came to David after the sin. Now it's Gad. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come upon you three years of famine in your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, 
pursue you, or three days of plague in your land. Think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I'm in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. And when the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And when David saw the angel was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. So the consequences of David's sin, because he's king, are being enacted against the, the people. And David finally catches on and uh, says, it shouldn't be them, it should be me. So in verse 18, uh, Gad goes to David, Second Samuel 24 stone, says to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Aruna looked up and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Verse 21, Aruna said, What is my lord the king come to his servant? Why has the lord the king come to my, his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. And Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are threshing sledges and oaks, ox oaks for the wood. O king, Aruna gives all this to the king. Aruna also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Aruna, this is important, verse 21. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Um, I, there, there's sort of a song that goes, I will not offer, I will not offer to God anything that cost me nothing. That, um, that, and that's important for us, that, that it's not really an offering to God if, if it didn't mean something to us in the process. So David buys it all, buys the oxen, pays for it, and offers all that up to the Lord and offers up a prayer for it to stop the plague and it does and uh, there you go so the rest of David's life isn't um, recorded any longer now in Second Samuel it actually shifts over into First Chronicles and uh, there's a few verses there that I think are important we're going to get to First Chronicles again but let me take a few minutes and uh, it kind of sets up what's going to happen with Solomon David said to Solomon, verse 7, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. So David, remember David's dream was to build a house for the Lord, but because of, sort of, he was a very violent guy, he said, David, that's not going to happen. You're not going to do that. But he says in verse 9, You will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, that's Solomon. I'll give him rest from his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So Solomon will be the one that builds the house of the Lord. We know that be happened. But David, he can't build it, but he gets everything prepared. It's really cool when you, when you see what happens here. So when Solomon is ready to build the temple... Everything is there. And, and David amasses a huge amount of stuff. Verse uh, 14. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord. A hundred thousand talents of gold. A million talents of silver. 
quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone. And you may add to them, you have many workmen, stone cutters, masons, and carpenters, as well as many skilled in every kind of work, in gold, silver, bronze, and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work, and the Lord be with you. So that's pretty cool. That's why Solomon's able to put the temple up as quickly as he does. Everything that he needs is there. 28. First uh, uh, Chronicles 28. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the brave warriors. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. For the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from the house of Judah he chose my family, and from my father's son he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever, if he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws, as is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel, in the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. And serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its building, its storeroom, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all the, that all the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord. And all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for the delicate for the dedicated things. He gave him instructions for the divisions of the priests and Levites for all the work of serving in the temple of the Lord, as well as for all the articles to be used in its service. He designated the weight of gold for all the guard articles to be used in various kinds of service and the weight of silver for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service. The weight of gold for the gold lampstands and their lamps with the weight for each lampstand and its lamps, and the weight of silver for each lampstand and its lamps. And this goes on and on in everything, the, the detail that's in there and how everything is to be set up. David had all, received all of that from the Spirit of God, but wasn't able to do it. But he had, I love the fact that he had everything ready for Solomon when he came. He couldn't do this actual building, but he could make sure it was ready to go. And uh, it's fascinating what he uh, accomplishes uh, in getting that ready to go. So... That pretty much runs it. Now we're going to, we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll start First Kings next week. And we'll see what's going on uh, there as this next transition happens. It's not as smooth as it could be. But uh, that's pretty normal. But Solomon will become king and the temple will be built. And, um, and then you have, a, you have a sort of a good run. And then it goes, goes south pretty quickly. But that's enough. If you've been watching on video, thanks for watching. Sorry about the little technical glitches early on. But uh, hopefully this part went through well. And uh, God bless you. We'll be praying for you. All right. If you have prayer requests, pass them up to me. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. 